I was asked to condense my life as an architect into 20 minutes, which is very difficult. Uh, when I was about five, I, Peggy Ashcroft, and Dan and I were all at school together. And I think we'd learned about the facts of life. Anyhow, we all decided that we'd never use a man's name. That was very early, wasn't it? And we would make some sort of careers. Well, they succeeded rather better than I did. Uh, for the first time in my life, I considered my life for this lecture, and I realized I'd actually worked in 12 countries. That surprised me. But luckily, my life has gone in periods, and I'll try and break it up as far as I can. The first period was when I was at the AA. Now, as a young girl, when I was made head girl of my school, I decided I didn't want to be at my school anymore. I wanted to be involved in building. And I did a high, must have saved up my pocket money, which was seven pounds a week. I took a train to London without telling my parents or anybody. I went to London University and asked how a girl could be trained in building. And I met a terribly nice, handsome young man, and I should never know who he was. He said, well, don't come here. He said, we've got Corfiato. He's terribly old hat. I'll take you to lunch, and I'll take you to the Architecture Association, which is full of life around the corner. And he gave me free lunch, first time I ever had lunch given me by a young man. And I went round the corner to Burrow Reeves, who was all teeth. And he said to me, but the school started, they've all passed their entrance exams. Uh, how did you do in your matriculation? Well, luckily I got a few honours, I don't know how. So he said, well, we haven't got anybody with honours. You walk in. So I walked in about five days late to the Architecture Association. And that was the start of my career, except that my parents hadn't got the money. So I had to teach every evening or most evenings uh, a few languages I had because my parents had seen that I was fairly well educated. And I think that kept me on the straight and narrow. I used to catch the 7.20 train every morning to London, the workman's train, which was half the cost. And then I used to walk either from Victoria or London Bridge to the AA to save Tuppence. And my banister fetter was regularly in Hargett's Femmers, and I used to ask them to keep I could get it back, so that shows you my beginning. Anyhow, I spent most of my time, all my lunch hours in museums, mostly alone. And when eventually I became a uh, part of the advisory board, the governor of the DNA, 
I fought like stink. And I've still been writing to Roy Strong, the rudest letters, to try and get one day free. Because I believe that unless you take in a lot of beauty, you can't give it out. And it was those free museums, I think, that gave me whatever creativity I've got. Because I think it's a sort of catharsis that you have to take in a lot of beauty before you can give it out. Well, that's a very short beginning. At the A, I was very vegan for the first three years at least. After that, I became a bit brighter. We were terribly spoiled at the A. We were so few women that you could have had a hair lip and a squint and you would have been taken out for lunch. And I had, can't remember, something like 16 proposals. And I married in my fourth year, sort of means of going on working, really. Anyhow, uh, life went quite well. And I worked hard until I had to get a job in an office. I don't know why I didn't think of going to the Beckley, with whom I'm now a great friend. Because I found I couldn't get into any of the architect's offices I admired, not even for an interview, including Max Rye. None of them would even see me. And I eventually got into an awful office, a man called Joseph Hill, who was very kind to me, where I wasn't allowed to even look at the magazines because I was too low and I had to do details of sash windows in linen, which I was very bad at. Uh, you know, working out the weight and everything. However, while I was there, I won a competition and I actually had £300 and we started an office. I'd married by then and uh, I was still a student, finished and I had children, and I had a quite decent husband who cared about sport. And I nearly caused a riot once because I rang him up in the middle of a match at, uh, I think he was playing for the MCC, because he used to ring me in the middle of the office, and I thought that was very bad while they were working. And apparently ringing in the middle of the cricket match is much worse. At any rate, we got divorced. Well, I had no money and two children. I had to support them. Well, then all the friendships I'd made in the A came to bear. And somebody gave me... Uh, also, my office got fixed. And my house. And I had two kids to support. And somebody gave me a fat in King Street, James's. Uh, an ex-A friend called Compton. And Max, who by then I was just living with, I wasn't married to, I was against marriage. Uh, and I called it the office of Jane Dupree and tried to run it only with women architects, but they ran out and I had to employ men. I remember I had people like Rosenberg, York Rosenberg of Mardell, I had Goldfinger come to beg me for a job and all the rest of it. And uh, I ran this office, but 
So in the end, it had a lot of men as well as women. And I was doing aircraft production factories, and somehow I got the car. I got a lot of consultancies. I was doing consultancy for the British Commercial Gas Association on kitchen planning. And I should have made a lot of money, but I was too thorough. I did a research on the heights of women. All gas cookers were two foot eight high. And I discovered by getting all statistics on army uniforms that women now were three feet as a height. And I found that we, they were all then black, uh, black cast iron. And I discovered that in America they had chip proof America uh, uh, enamel. So I decided that I should go to America and research. And I found through the Bristol aircraft production factories and others, you could make a whole kitchen with everything, washer, cooker, everything, one pressing, cheaper than a cast iron gas cooker. I went to the Ministry of Housing and Poynton Taylor said to me, don't you realize, Miss Drew, that woman's labor in the home is free? I was hopping then. Absolutely furious. Uh, because they were only temporary, these prefabs, and you could have made the whole caboose for less than one cooker. And I was very socialist at the time, I may tell you. Well, in those days, I was full of spirit. And I decided that the RIBA should hold an exhibition in the National Gallery showing how we could build new towns with really good planning and all things. I was a member of CM and the Mars Group that we could do. And what did I do? I think it's a bit boasting, but never mind. I went to Kenneth Clark, whom I didn't know, head of the National Gallery, and said, give me part of the National Gallery and we'll do such an exhibition. He said, who's on our committee? I said, I haven't chosen it yet. And he said, you tell them I'm on your committee. You've got the National Gallery. They'll all fall in. That followed, like the night the day. But the RIB were hellishly nervous. They packed my committee with safe people like Charles Holden and all the rest of it. So the exhibition got a bit diluted. But I think it did something towards starting the new towns. Now, then the next dramatic thing happened in my life, which was when they started a ministry of town and country planning, which you'd all hope for. Now, at that time, I was doing aircraft production factories, as Diana will probably remember, and I wrote the minister the rudest letter I could imagine, saying that he did put on his board all the fuddy-darty architects that existed and no modern avant-garde architects. And this was awful. I wrote a very letter, and I didn't expect an answer. At that time, I was taking responsibility for all sorts of things on these aircraft factories, and the approval from the ministry would come six weeks later. 
And I didn't think he'd answer. What happened was a telephone call. And George Strauss, who later became a lord, phoned me up and said, come and see me at once. Get in taxi. I got in a taxi. I got there. And in his anteroom, there was a Barbara Hepburn. And that gave me some hope. And I got him. He, he said, I said, where did you get all these dreary architects from? He said, from the RIBA. He said, who do you think should go on? I said, well, Wells Coates, Clark Hall. I went through a whole long list, including that. He said, where are they all? And I told him where they all were. And when I got to Max's, I said, in West Africa, because he's volunteered for overseas service and he's fed up to the teeth because there's no war going on in West Africa. And he wanted, and actually I married him just before he went away. He said, would he plan the four West African colonies? I said, I've no idea. You'd better ask him. Here's his address. And then I got a cable from Max saying, We'll accept four West African colonies if you will accept jointly. That was one of the biggest problems of my life because I at last got an office running. I was earning money for the first time. I thought I was doing important work, important to me, and I was supporting the kids and at last managing to pay for it. So that was hell. However, I said I'd go six months later, and I did. And I had Nigeria to plan. I think I had two assistants. I mean, you can't imagine how ridiculous life is. And I labored with the governor general and telling him how he should plan Nigeria so that the waterfront didn't block all the breeze. How they you know, I went on working very hard. And then I was seconded to go back to England and present the five-year plan for Nigerian development. Because during the rounds, I discovered what the problems were about the forest being cut down, the erosion, the tribal disagreement, and all the rest of it. However, we've cut that short. It all led to us doing a hell of a lot of work in Ghana and Nigeria. Uh, and we ended up doing most of the teacher training colleges in Ghana and uh, a great deal of work and the university in Ibadan. And one of the things which really pleases me was that my first honorary doctorate was actually given by the Nigerians in Nigeria. That really pleased me very much. Well, that's a little beginning. Now, life was very different from what it is now. You met everybody in the Café Royal. Anyone who was interested in progress used to go and have coffee in the Café Royal. And there you would meet all the socialist people who cared about the future. I don't think there's any such venue now. I used to go to and my friends were people like extraordinary now. John Christie, Julian Huxley, Graham Southern, Henry Moore. He was earning £10 a week. I used to stay with him every week. Uh, 
Elizabeth Lutton, Patrick Blackett, got Nobel Prize, Philip Handy, Kingsley Martin, O'Barrett, and they were all to be found having coffee in the Café Royal. There is no such place in London where you can go, have a coffee, and be sure your mutual friends one evening. And we were all part of a great thing to change England. And I can't reproduce this for this generation because it doesn't exist anymore. Well, while we were in Nigeria, we wrote the first book on tropical planning, and I wrote a book on village development, because I realized that the stabilized earth and all the rest of it, you could build much more sensible houses, much cheaper. I think I did 600 in Kamesi, then you could with concrete. But there were taboos I didn't understand about, that Africans don't like the word mud. And so that wasn't very good. Well, that by accident, curiously enough, led to us going to India. Meantime, I was working on the Festival of Britain and other work and in England. Uh, I was a very bad broadcaster. And the woman who trained me had friends in India who arrived for tea. They sat on the floor and asked us if we'd go and do Chandigarh. That was very curious that, uh, well, they must have known about Max. But I actually personally phoned Corb to join us because I couldn't go because I was working on the Festival of Britain and we were doing the university in Nigeria and other work. And that was the beginning of it, and only one of the historians has picked it up rightly. Well, I'm missing out a whole lot, of course. We asked uh, Dennis Asden and Lindsay Drake to join us, which we thought all our London staff could go to India, and that proved impossible. The three years in India were the most hard-working we ever had. We worked every day, including Sundays. You cannot imagine what we had to deal with. Our staff were intense refugees, it turned out. Corp, who was largely responsible for the master plan, but not uh, for the planning of the sectors, but he did these expensive buildings in concrete. We were responsible for housing. During our period, we housed 30,000 families in three years. There was no budget for the poor people. I had to scrape off the judges' houses in order to house them. And we had the greatest enthusiasm. But it was architecture about what you can do without, not what you can do with. We cut everything you don't need. That's to say, we did without curtains, without doors, we had curtains. We did without door handles, we had latches. We used a combination of high technology, pre-stressed concrete beams, with very carefully insulated mud. We didn't have to do what we did in Africa. In Africa, 
we collected all the water off the roofs and recirculated. I mean, they talk about intermediate technology. We had to do that in Africa. But in India, uh, it was a question about how you could build very cheaply, and that was a mixture of low and high technology. And we also had to consider, in the same equation, how to give employment. If you can imagine, you can't imagine what it was like. Max and I would pass a held-up bus, and we would think it was Ducati murdering everybody. It was a question of whether we went by or whether we went back. We had whole trainloads of people arriving at Calcutta with everybody dead except the train driver. What the films are showing doesn't give you any idea of the actual horror and the actual suffering we were working with. And never did we have a more enthusiastic staff. Never did I see a people work so hard. Nobody grumbled at working every day. And I think that only out of real suffering. But we did learn how to build cheaply. We learned how to put water spouts instead of drain pipes. How to use the things that exist. And we did the first city, I mean, it's much criticized, quite likely, uh, which has complete waterborne sewage. And as to problems of being a woman, there were absolutely none. I could go up to Nero and complain, and he'd see me at once. There was some corruption up the top. I went and offered to resign. And I took a train to Delhi, saw him at six in the morning, and he immediately said he would move the man sideways. He couldn't sack him because he was a Sikh. So uh, he is the only government official I've ever met who really cared about town planning. All our time in Africa, we never got anybody. Who really cared. In England, you can't say the present government cares. But there, we really had a sympathetic audience. I think I'm running out of time. Am I going too long? Well, uh, I'll cut a whole lot of countries and leap straight to Iran. Because I think it was in Iran where Max never went when I was working, that I had the hardest time I ever had. I found myself in a climate where your blood can go on boil if you go out in the middle of the day. And I had a job of housing uh, all over the fields area of Iran. Now, I'm a woman. I'm British. And I'm not a Muslim. I had absolutely no different difficulty. I am much more powerful than I am on the doctor. The first woman blood brother in the bacteria tribe. You know, a few things to be proud about. And working with the Iranians, and I may say that we were actually going to do an open university there. And we were doing three universities, and I 
totally agree with them getting rid of the Shah, but I wish they'd get rid of the Ayatollah too. There was no problem at all. Once you start working and you're deep on the job, there is absolutely no problem whatsoever about what your sex is, what your colour is. I've always been against women's groups, although I did the exhibition with Jill Foot between the House of Commons and the House of Lords on women's suffragettes and suffragists. I'm against women's groups in the RIDA because when I was the first member here, by the by, Max resigned when they wouldn't have, he couldn't have me as a guest uh, to the council club because they thought there shouldn't be women. Then Robert Matthews put me up and I got in and um, he came back again. But generally speaking, I think we've been very decently treated. And that sex and um, colour, creed, none of that matters with architecture. The real difficulty is with the city of London. It's much worse than all the Muslim states. And I'm telling you the truth. Because I did shell headquarters in Singapore, and they were delighted. But they told me that Shell London, I went and had a meeting with them up on the sixth floor, would never consider a woman. So your battle, ladies, is on. I think I talked too long.